Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Ears International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. As we move into service, I, I want to set a tone, but maybe in kind of a different way than I typically do, or maybe I should say kind of in the same way that I typically do. But um, last week, we, we had a real, like, um, moment of what our family is facing and what we are. It's like having to look outside of the ark, like peeking out and seeing the storm that's at hand. And like Kendra said, seeing those that are not, that didn't make it, those who chose to stand in a place of mockery and chose to not get on the ark. And that is true for where our family's at. That we are being hidden and tucked away in a place saying, like, I'm after what he has. But there is a spirit that would then mock what he is setting for us to do. And so, as we sit here and engage that, as we typically do, where our heart is positioned in a place of gratitude for all that has been like all that our spiritual parents have died over, I want us to just take a moment to remember where we've come from. Like that mockery, we have felt that internally, I'm sure, each one of us. But what I want to take a moment to just specifically address is the yellow wine. Mm -hmm. The hope that is released. Because we do have leaders who will stop everything, in a sense, to partner with hope in our lives. For me specifically, I'm just going to be very personal. Today was, I mean, we're talking last week about the hardships that have come, but today was a hard day. The, The storms that are coming, the accusations, the mockery that's there, it is real. And had it not been... For our spiritual leaders, I would be dying in a place of hopelessness on my kitchen floor. That's where I was this afternoon. But what I'm trying to say is, there is we are in a family who has leaders that have been positioned to walk with us daily. We're not just some church service, some group that gets together once a week, but we are in a family who walks things out consistently with each other. So when I sit here on a Friday night and I release a heart of gratitude and a place of honor, it is from a place of knowing that not only did they die over what they're releasing, not only did Torah read them first, but all week long, it's very personal because everything about it would be death of me. I would be the the bottom part of that ocean totally submerged in death had I not had our leaders, my spiritual parents, stand in a place to say, you do have hope. Find the hope in this situation. Yes, you're watching drowning. Yes, you're watching mockery, but find the hope. So as I sit here and say, this is, I'm going to be bold about in this home we honor. Yeah. We are standing on the floor of honor. We don't deserve anything that's being released if we cannot position our hearts without honor and gratitude. Yeah. 
anything that's coming out, anything that's being released in the service, anything that is reading us, Torah that is reading us, you don't deserve it if you do not stand with gratitude and honor. So tonight, let's be aware of positioning ourselves that way. Be aware of anything that comes up in us that is opposite of gratitude and honor, that comes to steal what is being released. Yeah, so mom and dad, thank you. We do attribute what we have to you guys because you were willing to go first. (laughs) And we're very thankful that you guys continue to stand in a place of mockery and accusation, and yet you still stand. I I couldn't do it if you guys didn't help me to see that there is a reason to continue to stand. So we're very, very thankful for you, and we honor you in this house, and we give you a place to land. We give you a place to release. We know it doesn't come easy, but we thank you for everything that you're willing to go ahead of us in, and we do give you that place to bring truth to our life. We give truth a place to land. (laughs) I just want to remind us, like we were, we stood in a place to say truth is irritating. (coughs) And he said, where would you be on that side of history? Would you have crucified truth? Let us be a family who's aware that in a moment we could crucify truth in a thought. It would take one thought. How did you say it, Kendra? A thought is what shifted in a situation. Line our thoughts with truth. Align with truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we really uh, um, appreciate the hosting team and the tone being set and everything that has been expressed up to this point. Um, I just really feel like uh, we're going to have Mom do the honor of lighting the Shabbat candles as we enter into Shabbat tonight and really just feel the weight of what Yahweh is doing in this house, what he's doing with his family in the midst of what most everybody else, right, outside of the ark, outside of a place of deliverance, outside of that process is really having to deal with. And when you look at what's happening in our world, I mean, look anywhere and it's just chaos, just a storm. Um, But here we are entering into Shabbat, entering into a perfect place of peace and lighting this candle as a representation of just a small light in the darkness and how powerful that is. So um, just wanted to say that as mom with the Shabbat candles and and uh, just really speak that in this environment, there is shalom, shalom in this environment right now. Um. I think it's powerful. I mean, unless you guys talked beforehand, but you're like just how Holy Spirit sets things up. Like you talked about the yellow line, and it was interesting because you said find yourself where you're supposed to go, and I was on the yellow line. And then you talked about the yellow line, and then talking about hope. I want to I want to release that over everyone 
that I got the chance to pour myself out over Missy today. Because when she when she reaches out and says, I I am dealing with hopelessness. Okay. So what what I asked was hopeless in what? First identify when this comes up and you feel hopeless, identify what are you hopeless in? Identify it. Because if you say, Well, by the word of the Lord, I'm not hopeless. <coughs> And you push away from from it, it can come back sevenfold. So lean into it and ask, what am I hopeless in? Identify it so that you can write it down. Because the reality is probably what you wrote down is hopeless. If a hopeless situation presents itself, then it's hopeless. But you are not dealing with hopelessness. So you need to separate your a circumstance can be presented and be hopeless, but until you identify that you are not hopeless, you then can look at hopelessness or the situation of hopelessness in the right lens. So when you're looking at something that's hopeless, then the next thing to do is write down what you're not hopeless in. So when she's talking about grateful and being filled with honor, it's talking about being able to look at what we're grateful for because when like Kendra said when the storm comes then 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 you've got to shift your focus from outside the oh look at the world versus I have my husband I have my right I mean I'm thinking of Noah I have my sons and daughters I have right I mean you begin to Lift yourself up in the frequency of, okay, this thing is trying to puff itself up to make it seem like this circumstance is so hopeless. So now you are hopeless and you are in hopelessness and everything around you is hopeless versus being able to find out, okay, this situation is presenting itself as hopeless, but then beginning to identify what is filled with hope. Then relook at the circumstance that's hopeless. Because if you allow hopelessness to dictate hopelessness, you end with hopelessness. The only way to, 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 to counteract hopelessness is to be able to find the opposite of that and then apply it. And so, and obviously gratitude is definitely a, a huge, a huge one. Right, because that—I mean—that can kind of lift you up out of. I mean, that could be laundry. <laughs> ah, I got all this laundry, and then, but okay, that is hope. Okay, that the instead of being like, this is not hopeless. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is a hopeless situation. Laundry is never going away. <laughs> but I have a family yeah, yeah. that I get. I mean, now I'm like dying to do his laundry. <laughs> Before I complained, and now I'm like, please bring me your laundry. <laughs> so you shift from a hopeless situation to being filled with gratitude. All of a sudden, you've got to skip in your step, and you're doing laundry. Okay. All right. Tilly, Tilly teaching. Um, uh, like, I, like I said, just for a few, maybe a few months, I just want to uh, tackle some teaching on the Talith because I just feel like when he, ultimately this is what happened, when he spoke over Tabernacles and he basically commanded the families 
and said, when the times get tough, learn to go in. If he even said it, we may not be here. I don't know why he said that. I was like, why are you? We were about to get on a plane, so I was trying to figure out what he was saying. <laughs> I was freaking out. But he goes, we may not always be here. And if I can leave anything to my family, that you would learn to tabernacle, that you would learn to go in. And then to think about that word in context to the vehicle. If we could just learn to go in, we do not have to be destroyed. Um, uh, we'll get we'll get into all that. But I really felt like the tali is such an opportunity to be able to grab a hold of what it can feel like to tabernacle. So when he said go in, sometimes I wonder, well, what does that what what does that mean? How do I go into what? For me, I'm starting to learn practically. It helps me to go in because it it um well it does a couple things. I mean, we're, we've talked about this, but it brings me, it shuts out the world. It's like I could say, okay, I'm going to go to my secret place. I'm going to close my eyes. But it's almost like when I do that, there's like a, there's an addition to just the manifestation of stepping in. I've talked about this before. I'm, I'm weird. I use things around me to activate heaven because we know that heaven's not up here and earth's down here. So sometimes we have triggers, and I think triggers can be negative. I can be triggered into trauma, or I can be triggered into righteousness. Either way, we can have uh, triggers in our lives that will remind us. So there's things that I'll do that will remind me, and one of them is a car door or doors. Anytime I go through a door, I am, I'm reminding myself that I get to step into a dimension. It's just something silly that I have. So it can be as simple as being able to, if you're, especially hopelessness. Okay, the situation is hopeless. And even just taking an act of faith to say, and I'm stepping into something different. So sometimes I'll do that. I'll close my eyes and I'll just kind of step into something different. The same thing happens when I put on a tallit. It's like, it just helps. I made a move. I made a mark. I did something different. Even if it's simple as like, you know, I mean, I, you guys have probably seen me. Sometimes I'll hear something in the spirit, and I'm like, and some people are like, that's weird, but it's kind of like this just. It's so real. If you were to stick your finger in a, in a plug, you're not going to be like, right? You're going to feel something. So I would hope that heaven is more powerful than an outlet. So if you decide to stick your finger in heaven, I hope you're. Because if you're not, I don't know what power you attack. Never mind. So the Talit has an opportunity to just shut the world out or do something different. And so what I want to talk about, which we started last week, is this level of authority. There, It's not just a secret place or a hideaway or to feel comfortable, but it's actually putting on an identity. Do you guys remember a while ago when I preached about the man with the cloak? And after he was healed, he said, get up and Yeshua said, get up and walk. And he ripped his cloak off. Well, a cloak is a mantle or a garment. Mm -hmm. What cloak or mantle have you been wearing when Yeshua says, come and follow me? And he has to rip off. My point is, is he wasn't just getting naked for the sake of getting naked. The cloak meant something. So when he ripped it off, he was ripping off his identity and saying, I am fully yours. 
So when we activate the talit, we're activating what identity we want to be under. What identity do we want to wear? It, it is a place of authority, a place of significance, or a place of um, of identity. So does, does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the man that, that was healed, I think it's in um, Mark, uh, oh, I have it written down, Mark 10, where he's the one that's blind and he's sitting underneath his cloak and Yeshua, he's crying out, you know, I need you to heal me, I need you to heal me. And all the disciples are like, be quiet, be quiet. And then Yeshua says, by your faith, you can you can be healed. So he, what happens is, is what security, let me say it this way, what security blanket was he under? Yeah. The culture yeah. put an identity on him. Yeah. He had to be a beggar. Cloaks were used to, by the culture, by the culture, a cloak was used to identify a homeless person who was lame. They used that cloak for alms to be able to receive offerings, and they used it for warmth because they were typically homeless. So think about the level of identity of what a cloak or mantle provided, that when the healed man ripped it off, it was to take off an old garment of security, the security blanket, or the, what the culture has deemed should be on him in order to take up a different identity, that I am healed. Well, Yeshua was wearing a garment as well. Garments are not bad. Garments are not religious. Garments are common. <laughs> Garments are worn. The issue is what is identified on the garment. Yeah. Yeah. If I have a sweatshirt that says Satan, it's going to be very different than if I have a sweatshirt that says Yeshua. And that's just a sweatshirt. Yeah. So so when I talk about um, uh, uh, power and authority, um, I want to, oh, I feel like I could go in a couple different directions. Remember in Numbers, it says that you are to make a garment and to and to have tassels on it. Tassels, the word was fringe, right? So the, the, the fringes that we've talked about. Well, in the renewed covenant, Yeshua wore a garment that also had fringes. It's a different word. It's a different uh, Greek word because it's in the Greek, but it's the exact same definition. It's fringe. So Yeshua was wearing a garment with with fringes. And you see it uh, over and over and over again. If you guys are writing this down or want it, uh, the scriptures are Matthew 9, 20, Luke 8, 44. I'm giving these out because I'm not going to read them all. Matthew 14, 36, and Mark 6, 56. And remember, we learned last week that we know that in the Old Testament that the garment or the hem represented authority when David went to go and take care of um, Saul. It was, it was a power move. You know, that's why Saul knew you're the king because he basically had cut his cloak, had cut, he, cut, had cut his, uh, the hem of his garment to show your authority has been dealt with. The authority that you've been operating has been has been dealt with. And so when you understand that, now you can understand why there's so many stories in the renewed covenant where by faith they said if we could just touch his garment. If I could because there was so much identity on what people wore. Because it matters. Why would the blind man be wearing a cloak that he had to rip off? And Yeshua, everybody's saying, if the hem could just brush by me. There's something, there's something in that. And so I want us to understand, though, something 
that this is not superstition. <coughs> okay, this is not this is not a superstition thing. If I could just grab a hold of this, I'm going to say it. I mean, I wrote it down because it's just hit me. It's not a matter of superstition, but a silent cry for attention and healing. It's the understanding. It's the silent cry of understanding if I could just connect. Yeah. If I could just connect. Yeah. And in that connection, yeah. which absolutely has to do with touch, if I could just connect, if I could just touch, I will what? Experience yeah. his power. I will experience his authority. So when we talk about connecting, it is, it is, an it, it is, if I could just touch, I could experience his authority. Because it's about, it's about connection. But it's understanding what you're connected to. Why were they wanting to touch something like that? Because they understood that that cloak meant identity. So if I can even just touch his clothing, I would have access to everything that he carries because it's in his identity. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that that might uh, I think that that might be it. But I just want to uh, list out a little bit of the root word again because they're both the same word in the renewed covenant and in the Old Testament. Um, Titsi is the fringe. So it actually means fringe. But in the root of it, I'm going to read the root of teats. I just want to read the root of it so you understand what these fringes were. When I say feather, um, it, the root word is feather or wing, flower, bloom, shining like on a priest, sparkle, flourish, blossom, Produce, put forth blossoms, gaze, peep, glance, make eyes. So you can imagine if that's the root word of the hem of a garment that means authority, what is it that we need to gaze upon or what is it that we need to grab a hold of? What needs to blossom in my life? So, you know, going back to what I was saying, if if there's a hopeless situation, you find yourself in a, you, you find yourself being able to um, okay, I, I see utter chaos. Okay, I set my eyes on his gaze. I'm sheltering myself from what I see, and I step into a place of what needs to blossom. Okay? In the Greek, extremity. This is biology, people. Think about the extremities of our body. This is an attachment of my heart. My heart is is is, is here, but you're not going to be able to get in there and like, I mean, maybe. But you can touch my hand. The extremities carry the same DNA, and and so so it, it means extremity. So you're it's an extension of who he is. It's like if if okay if I. I mean, this sounds weird, but if I'm not able to be in your lap, can I just yeah. touch your hand? Yeah. Can I just grab a hold of your extremity? Um, prominent part of a thing. Edge, margin, um, appendage. Hanging down from the mantle or cloak. 
and it's usually made of twisted wool. So again, just remembering that the cloak and the mantle is what identifies a person. These seats are the prominent extension of that identity that he says, grab a hold of it because my power will flow through it. So it's not just the superstitious seat that you're holding on to. You're holding on to the extension of his mantle, the extension of his cloak that carries his identity. Okay. And, and, and this is crazy because this is oh, that's a Jew thing. No, it was in the renewed covenant. Everybody talks about it. If I could just grab his hem. Okay. And so I'm not saying that, I mean, he's not walking, he's not walking the earth. So I understand that it's different, but it's an activation of being able to, it's just like if we were to teach on a secret place. Well, what makes your closet holy? Because you said it was holy. Right? What makes this different than, than a curtain? There's not. Use your curtain. I don't care. Get underneath your bed. It, get in, it doesn't use a jacket. It doesn't matter. It's what it, it it's what um it's what has been assigned to it that helps you to be able to grab a hold of his power and his authority. Okay? So everyone, uh, we are going to I apologize after party, we're gonna grab our communion elements. I want us to remember. It's interesting you guys keep saying the word remember. I mean, it's obvious, but it's also totally alive in the Holy Spirit. Um, but as you come up to get your communion elements, I want us to understand that tonight we've been doing this, right? The, we're breaking bread, and it's because of his body being broken that we even have access to the renewed covenant. And we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about this because everything that we're talking about with Noah was just to establish what was to come. And here we are, a generation post-Yeshua, that we get to have access to the renewed covenant. What was the renewed covenant? Where his instructions were not just on paper, but written in our heart. And that they would be so inside of us that we would know how he is. Not just who he is, but how he is. And that is a huge aspect of covenant because I would never want to be in a relationship where I just know about him right. or he's on paper. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah. having a, a, an intimate relationship on paper? We wrote, we write books back and forth to each other. It's just yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> but the touch yeah. and connection. Yeah. And he said, I will remove your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh because I want to be in you. He's not some far off where we need his hem or garment walking by. Sometimes I, like in my secret place, I like, it's weird. I like, because this is like the the outer courts. And sometimes I have to like figure out how to like, get into the incense yeah. in my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> you guys should see me in my, my secret time. You guys think I'm like weird, like moving around. You're, never mind. <laughs> but does that make sense? Like, it, it's, we get to have him inside of us while we take communion tonight. Yeah. When we say this Torah portion is written on my heart. Uh, actually, no, we're not going to get communion elements because Jacob is going to come up here. Um, and, uh, it, right. And then when we do the wine, remember it's the promised land. Yeah. 
And that when we say it is finished, I want to set the tone that we understand that tonight actually might bring another layer of communion you've never known before. And here's why. I'm going to give you a clue. Everybody keeps talking about remembering. What did Yeshua say during communion? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, we're going to dissect what remembrance actually means. So just by faith, say it is finished and also know there is so much more. Because we know that it is finished doesn't mean it's done. It means it's established. Maybe we should change the words. Maybe not it is finished. It is established. Maybe we should do that, Jess. (coughs) I think establish is the new word. Is that fine? So instead of it is finished, it is established after we drink the wine. Okay? So Jacob, he ordered a tallit for tonight. He didn't. I didn't. (laughs) It just seems weird ordering it off of, like, Amazon. (laughs) Or Timu. Timu. <laughs> then God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. So God caused a wind to pass over the land and the water subsided. Also the sources of the deep and the windows of the skies were closed up and the rain from the sky was held back. The waters kept receding gradually from upon the land and the waters decreased by the end of 150 days. The ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. The waters went on decreasing until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. It was at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. Then he sent out a raven, and it kept going back and forth until the waters were drying up from the land. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove did not find a resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole land. He stretched out his hand and he took her and brought her to to him into the ark. So he waited yet another seven days and again he sent the dove out from the ark. The dove came to him at, at evening and surprisingly a freshly plucked olive leaf was in its mouth. So Noah knew that the waters had receded from the land. After he waited seven more days, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. It was in his 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, that the waters had dried up from the land. Then Noah removed the cover of the ark, and he looked, and behold, the surface of the ground had dried up. By the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the land was dry. I just want, before um, before we start with communion, I uh, want to honor Jason's cousin, Chastity, and her kids are with us tonight. We're honored to be able to break bread with you and partake with you tonight. So thank you for coming. Um, all right, if we want to grab our bread, so... Basically, just everything that I said is that he gives us he gives us a- access, one loaf, 
multiple pieces. And he says to do this in remembrance of him, and we're going to dive into that tonight. So go ahead and partake when you're ready, and we will say that this Torah portion is now written on our hearts. It feels so significant, and I'm thankful for his grace that he'll allow us to do one portion slowly at a time as he just writes you know, on the tablets of our heart that he's not like, you know, but that he would just, it's okay. Precept upon just one, one portion at a time. So with, with this, um, with his blood that was shed for us to acknowledge that when we seal this, that it's life is in the blood. And that when we do this, it is our activation of our side of the covenant that says, I seal this. So when this happened with him and he said, it is finished, it's the same thing as us activating the same thing, partaking of his life and saying, it is finished. So with that, when you're ready, the words will be, it is established. Has he unlocked some mysteries in this Torah portion for any of you? Yeah. I thought, okay, it's only eight verses. <laughs> I was like, and I brought that up because I was like, well, Jacob got off. He got the scripture where there's only eight verses. So I'm thinking, like, okay, it's. I, yeah, there won't. Yeah, there's not. The very first sentence. So I'm like, okay. Um, I want us to just. I want. I want us to remember. I was just about to say that. I want to remind everyone. Uh, just kind of the. We all know this, but just to kind of give the over the overview of this. This word is all about. It, it is the story of redemption. This word is the story of redemption. And the reason why is because he starts a good thing, we mess it up, and he comes in. Versus looking at it as he started a bad thing, and he's just mean. Or he started a good thing, and then he flipped. Right? Like, his character was awesome. He wanted us. Then he didn't. Yeah. Right? I mean, there, yeah. it's, there's, there's so many different ways to explain the narrative. So if you don't have the foundation of the narrative in your heart, then you can read chapter by chapter and get a completely different thing out of it if you don't have the undertone that it's about his redemption. Yeah. Yeah. And why did we need his redemption? Yeah. Because of <coughs> mankind's rebellion. So mankind's rebellion against the creator, he has the ability to overcome, but why? Because the goal is to bring about unending communion with his people. So keeping that at the backdrop when we're being reintroduced, reintroduced to his redemptive character is we have to understand he started a good thing, mankind's rebellion was inserted, and then he has in his sovereignty a way of doing things in order to overcome that rebellion to bring us into unending communion again. 
Couple things with that story. That means you can't commune in the midst of some things. Yeah, right. By the very nature of the story, it means he yeah. cannot commune or dwell in the midst of things, yeah. which is rebellion. So if there's rebellion, he cannot reside. So he's got to get rid of rebellion so that he can have communion. So you cannot have both. So that so to understand the foundation of the story, to understand he started a good thing by our by our rebellion is contradictory to his character and his nature. So then he has to take care of that in order to reinsert himself to have unending communion again. Right? That's the fullness of all of these stories. So to remember at the forefront of our minds, because sometimes it's very personal, right? When he's dealing with rebellion in my heart, I'm immediately thinking he's a mean dad or a mean God. But in reality, the responsibility lies in you started a good thing. I am the one that rebelled and you cannot reside with that rebellion. So then you have to reintroduce yourself and take care of that so that we can have unending communion because you want to commune with me, not because you don't want to commune with me. You just don't want to commune with the parts of me that you don't, you can't commune with. That's a good dad. Does that not sound like the perfect father? The one that's willing to say, even in the rebellion, I still am after unending communion, but that does not mean I'm such a good dad that I'm going to allow, I'm not going to commune in the rebellion because then you would become God and I would be subject to you. And he wants you to be subject to him. I don't know what I said. (laughs) Right? But if, if the roles were reversed... If he said, you know what, I'm going to be such a good dad, I'm going to commune with you in your rebellion, you now have become God. And now he's subject to you and your, um, uh, I mean, I I can only imagine, I, I mean, I'm not God. So it would be your, I'm just, I mean, I'm envisioning, um, Anaya having to be sovereign over a flood. All of you guys would be like, please no. I mean, any one of us, right? Any one of us. I would not want mankind in charge of a flood. All of Greek mythology has this story in their narrative. But it is always told from the perspective that uh, circumstances is what uh, controlled the, the flood. In this story, it is the hand of Yahweh from the beginning to the end. He did it all. And so there, so, okay, so it, it's, it's, it's powerful, and it's one thing to read it, but then to understand it personally, I'm going to say something that's going to be like, <clears throat> one flood served two purposes. One story of utter destruction served two purposes, to destroy and to preserve his promise. Same mode. You and I can be going through the exact same situation, and it will serve two purposes, to destroy and to preserve his promise. It's not like he had one storyline over here for all the evil people, and then he had a different storyline for all over here for all the chosen people. Same storyline, two purposes. 
to destroy rebellion and preserve his promise. This is why it is so necessary to understand his character because how easy it can be to to have the same situation and read it two totally different ways. The exact same situation, I mean, this happens to us all the time, exact same situation, and he can be like, this is awesome, and I'm like, this is why a prophetic word can come out and be like, I mean, I remember Regina saying that at one point, like, well, all glory to him, because it's just going to come back, and I'm like, (laughs) it's all going to be good. No, it's not. Right? I mean, because she's in the ark. She's 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 engaging. Yeah. His promise will be <coughs> preserved. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm over here reading the exact same situation, like I am drowning. Well, I mean, yeah. you're gonna have to. Yeah. Okay. Let me say different. One vehicle served two purposes. That vehicle was the thing that shut out rebellion and chaos and violence, and also preserved his promise. Again, same thing, same vehicle, two purposes, okay? Um, Because I just want to review, because last week was like, um, if you remember, we talked about the vehicle, um, shutting the door, locking us into the process, that deliverance is not when you hit dry ground, deliverance is when you get locked into the vehicle. I dad very specifically said not one person had the ability to be like I don't know Noah I think 30 meters doesn't seem right so Noah only could obey the instructions built it and it was either in or not it wasn't like well I you know I don't know I don't know if that's big enough I don't know if the wood is the proper right it, there wasn't it was it, it it was the instructions my point in saying all that is we're receiving torah we don't have the ability within the instructions to be like mm, no, um that doesn't fit for today so yeah well the the vehicle was this dimension this dimension this dimension this dimension it was multiple it was four dimensions the reason why i'm saying that is because if you don't understand that with torah you're going to do that with yeshua he's going to come in and introduce himself and you're like mm, really like the direction you're going so right or um i'll follow you if you tell me where you're going (laughs) like the boat like the boat was gonna be like well let me tell you what waves are coming nobody was able to say how long tell me how long we're gonna do this for so if any of you guys are like how long is this gonna last and i'm like Apparently, 375 days. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, we don't have... When you understand that that the ark was the vehicle, and that Yeshua is the vehicle, and to go into that vehicle, this is why he was able to say, like, follow me, and you didn't have all these, well, what about this and what about that? So, and then remember that this vehicle was to preserve the promise. In Genesis 6, so a couple chapters prior, he promises Eve, your seed will crush the enemy. He is making his promise fulfilled by saying, Noah and your family will be set apart. By his very nature, he said, look, this is getting out of line. 
Not because he got out of line, because the people got out of line. Violence and corruption was through the land. He then says, but even still, he could have said, all you guys are, I'm, I'm wiping it out. We're going to start over. You guys, if he would have done that, nobody would have wrote Genesis. We wouldn't have known. Creation could have started all over again if he really wanted to, if it sucked that bad. He could have been like, they won't know I broke my promise. <laughs> His character is so good, he didn't have to be accountable to you. And yet he still says, let me be accountable to you. And I will show you that my promises are yes and amen, even in destruction. <laughs> That's crazy. Because, right? I mean, Genesis at Genesis 6 wasn't actually written. Moshe is <laughs> not here yet. So he hadn't written this yet. So in his sovereignty, he could have been like, they won't know. This ain't getting written anywhere. I'm going to just take them out. I'll make a new Adam, a new Eve. He didn't do it. Even in their mess, he says, I will still abide by my promise. So when you're looking at that picture and you're talking about hope or the yellow line, regardless of the destruction, I don't care if it lasts a year. The pro yeah. He will fulfill his promise. He has to. Because if he'll do it in integrity when he didn't have to, he'll definitely do it now. So I stand on that promise. But I have to know that I cannot receive that promise and be rebellious against it either because I have to acknowledge that he will destroy anything that opposes his promise. Not even opposes him. Opposes his promise. Okay. And then remember, last week, we really got, got at his opinion on sin. Yeah. And that was, that. I think that that's a big thing because we are, we, we just don't necessarily go down that line a lot. But he does have an opinion about sin. Okay? And his opinion is that it's not subjective. It is contrary to his nature. He cannot dwell with it. And when it is, and when it is sin, now remember, a lot of us have the definition of sin is whatever pastor told you that they thought was sin. It was very subjective. It's what felt right, what didn't feel right. Sin is separation from his instructions, period. If you are adamant, I do not need to follow his instructions, you are in sin. Now I'm not talking about us as a people that are learning that it's perfection. That's not it, right? Yeshua is the door to give us access to it being written on our hearts. It's actually natural before you learn them to want to obey his instructions. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is if your heart is to say, I don't need that or to rebel against that instruction or want the fullness of him, that is actually sin. That is the definite. You can't define sin if you don't have his instructions. Right. So, so, and when we don't obey his instructions, the anger side of him comes out in the sense of severe measures will be taken to take care of that. We need to understand this because if you don't understand this fun fundamentally, why would you go in the ark? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. that ark doesn't necessarily. I mean, sometimes that vehicle does not look fun, yeah. you know. So, so you have so so understanding what is pushing you when Kendra's talking about the strong arm that gets you into the house. It's not like he created a resort. 
So it's like this this strong arm is going to say, I need you to get in. And sometimes it's hard to discern what's in and what's not. And so being able to, you know, be able to recognize that. Last week basically was the beginning of introducing covenants. <coughs> Up until this point, we have not heard the word covenant until last week. I don't know if you guys noticed that. We had not heard covenant until he said, I established covenant with Noah. It's the first time that it, and, and, and later on you'll see he cut or he, um, uh, what's the other word? He cuts covenant. But, but, but last week he established covenant. Something last week was established in us to get us into a vehicle, to endure process, for us to be able to um, have his promises preserved. For what? And what is his promise? Unending communion with him. Okay. So, this Torah portion. But God remembered. All right. As Kendra talked about last week, it ends with the waters overpowered the land 150 days. But God remembered. I want us to understand this word. It's super important. This is really the only thing I'm going to hone in on, and I'm going to hone in on some dates, and then I'm going to let him unleash because he has a crazy revelation for tonight. I cannot wait to hear it. Um, but God remembered. Uh, this word is, uh, uh, I'm going to probably say it wrong, Zachar. This is not the English word remember. This is not the English word remember. Now think about this. What? Yes. Exactly. So it presents itself like it's been 150 days. I forgot about what's going on. <laughs> right? I mean, you tr- I mean, you read it and you're like, "What? C- can I? Yes, yes. Where the hell are you? Yes, yes. Come on. Yes. Me, me. Hello." And then I read, "But God remember." Thank you. <laughs> That's not what's <coughs> happening here. I have it wrong. If my filter is, "Where are you?" And then I cry out to him, now I remember. That's not his character. That's not what's going on here. He didn't forget that he destroyed all the world. He definitely didn't forget that he left Noah and his family and a bunch of animals in a boat. I'm pretty sure he's sovereign and was orchestrating every wave. I mean, up till this point, he had controlled the rains. So he just, he just, he just controls the circumstance and then goes... You know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up the floodgates, let the rain come, and then be like, I wonder what's gonna happen. And then in the meantime, he's like, oh, what? what do you got going on, angel? <laughs> like he's talking to his angels, or he's like communing with other people. I mean, his heart is is an unending communion with his people. He, 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 okay, but God remembered. But God saha. The word means. I'm gonna just say it out loud. First of all, the the word is a covenant word. It is used in covenant language. It's not I forgot and now I remember. It is a covenant language word. It is to identify loyalty to a covenant and his promise. Let me say it this way. To remember the covenant is to be loyal to it. To forget the covenant is to break it. 
This is not a, I forgot about you, and now I remember you. This is, if I forget, I break covenant. If I forget, I have broken covenant. If I remember, I am loyal to that covenant. I'm going to keep saying that because it's not just Yahweh who says it. If I forget who you are, I have broken covenant. If I remember who you are, I am saying I am loyal to the promise. You can understand, Abby and Kyle, the vows. Why is it so important? Remember, not because Kyle's going to forget and then have to remember, but I need to remember. I need to be loyal to my covenant. If I forget this, I have broken my vow. Not forget about it because I became complacent. Like actually forget means to break. To remember means to be loyal. So when, 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 when this says, but God remembered, he's saying, but God remained loyal to Noah. In the midst of the destruction, but God. Not, well, he forgot, but at least he remembered. You know, the, it, but is a vav. The word but is a vav. It's a connector from one thing to another. He's vavving two things. In that moment, he's not saying, well, I forgot, and now I remember. He's saying, because of this, because of this, I am loyal to Noah. Does that make sense? Okay. There's a ton of scriptures. You'll read them everywhere. Uh, Exodus. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Because they groaned, he forgot and then remembered? No, because they groaned, he's saying, I will be loyal to the covenant to Abraham. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Not, I forgot and now I remember, but they are in bondage, and I will remain loyal to my vows, to my promise. I mean, it's everywhere. Do not despise us for your own namesake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember and do not annul your covenant with us. Remember and do not annul your covenant. It it makes me rethink of everything that we've taught when we say how quickly we forget. What that really means is how quickly we break covenant. Mm -hmm. That's really what that means. You know, when you, you, you groan yeah. or you, I, I said yes, well, Come on. no. Come on. It, it, it's, it's, it's in that moment yeah. when you forget what mm-hmm. you said yes to. Yeah. Now, here's why you have to grab a hold of this. Because if you don't, he can't. <coughs> yeah. If you take on a role that says, I can't, oh, how am I trying to say this? I for, if I forget, that doesn't mean I break covenant. But then that would mean that Yahweh would have to forget. That's not making sense. If Yahweh says, if I was to forget, that means that I would break covenant. We then cannot position ourselves and just say, well, I just forgot. 
Right. It's this. If I mirror his image, then it's the same responsibility that if he if he's not saying that my forget and my remember is whether or not I forgot and remember something, but it's whether or not I break or am loyal to something, then yeah. that means my position has to be that I either forget or remember in the perspective of I either break or am loyal. Yeah. I don't have the luxury to be like, I forgot. Yeah. I'm groaning now because I forgot. No, you didn't forget. You broke covenant. Now, the only reason why I'm saying that is because that's who he is. Yeah. So I gotta change my filter on what groaning now means. Or at least that's what's been happening to me this week, is that he's been pressing on that. If you want to be like me, and you want to taste like me, and see like me, and feel like me, then I need you to have the same standard. Right. Don't forget the promise. Yeah. I can't whimsically be like, well, this week I, I just, I, I, I forgot what I'm standing on. <laughs> he's telling me, then you are forgetting your vow. Yeah. That's what I mean by the pressure. This is why we said last week, we are not reading the Torah. The Torah is reading us. So the moment I find out that God's character is, is if he forgets, it means he breaks. Then he's going to put that standard on me. If you forget, you broke. You remember, you're loyal. Guess what I'm doing now? I'm on my face. I remember, I remember, I remember. Because we will take the luxury to be like, well, I don't want to remember today. Well, then I have to take responsibility that I broke. Is this making sense? Yeah. I just, I want to, I just want to make sure that if we're, if we're, if we're learning his standard, then we're going to be read to that standard. And it's a totally different teaching for me to hear what forgetting means. Because I know for me, I can get in the weeds. Jacob. And he'll have to like help me get to 10,000 feet, right? I get in the weeds. Well, what am I doing? I'm not just forgetting about the 10,000 foot view. I'm not just, I'm not, if, if, I, if I live by that standard, then what's happening is, is I'm breaking covenant with that 10,000 foot view. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not remaining loyal to that view. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, when he remembers, it means it's an act of loyalty to a covenant. Um, this is why I said we're probably going to add some level to our communion. Because as we know that he said, do this in remembrance of me. It wasn't so that you could live a life all week long forgetting about who he is. And then once a week do communion and be like, now I remember. Or all six months doing whatever we want, operating in whatever sin, rebellion, violence, whatever. And then now I remember. That is not what communion is. Communion is not to remind you of your covenant. It is to, it is an act of loyalty to the covenant. Yeah. So that you're not actively breaking it. Yeah. That's really good. And then when you think about what... Oh, I don't even know if I want to get into this, but I'm not, never mind, I'm not. I was just going to talk about then what is the covenant, right? His covenant is to bring two houses together. So a lot of us have taken communion to do this in remembrance of me, like it's for me. Well, ultimately is let me remain loyal. Let me act loyal to your covenant 
that says two houses will become one. It was a covenant with Israel. Not just salvation with you. (coughs) It's such a bigger picture. When he said, do this in remembrance of me, we've taken it so, I forgot about you, and now I remember about our relationship. And in reality, he said, remember, don't break the covenant where my Torah is written on your heart for the purpose of two houses becoming one, where neither Jew nor Gentile will know who I am. Now, all of a sudden, communion is a whole different. Why do we want his body in us to be good for another week? Or to be empowered to know I will not break covenant, which is with the houses. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't going to get into all that, but that's that's I didn't want to like be lofty like I had something. But I was just thinking like I, I was just thinking of like the communion table of just reminding do this in remembrance of me. And a lot of us, you know, I mean, I have communion is very it's very personal and it is. But to know what the purpose is, unending communion with mankind. Um, ah, yeah, it's a statement of loyalty to his, his covenant partners. Let me say that. What does it mean to be a covenant partner? It's definitely not one-sided. Um, the only other I want dad to be able to unleash on this. So I'm just going to actually give you like a, a little taste of this for you to search it out. But you guys know me and dates. And I woke up to the goodness of who he was, who he was, meaning in my was, who he is now. But my was then was I woke up to the feast and to dates. And don't you find it interesting that this entire Torah portion keeps talking about the first day on this month, the seventh day on 17th day on this month and the 601 year and on. It's not just then 40 days and then there is some intentionality. So what I want us to understand is when these months are given, this is pre-Exodus. So, I want to teach all night long. <laughs> um, uh, I'll just I'll just tell you guys. So think about the the twelve Hebrew months, and 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 this is what I did. This is what helped me write out the twelve Hebrew months. So Nisan all the way down to um, Adar. So you write out the 12 months. This is pre-Exodus. So remember, at Exodus, Nisan became one. But this is pre-Exodus, so Nisan is one. Okay, all I'm going to say is, is that this year of this whole flood actually is a representation of the feast. So when the when the boat lands at, what did you say, Artatap? Ararat. When the boat rested and the mountains began to show itself, it was on the 17th day of Nisan. If you look that up, what feasts are we in? Anyone? Yeah, Pesach. So just dig into that mystery that it just happened to be that It was going to be the future Pesach is where they rested on that mountain. Okay, then it talks about Tammuz. Now this is a little bit, a little bit, um, for me I don't quite understand it. If you guys get something I would, I would love to know. Tammuz is the month after what? So, so if you read the story, uh, basically three months later, because it says the 10th month. So, 
the, the month of Nisan is the seventh month in this chapter because it's not it's not the first month yet. Does that make sense? Nisan becomes the first month in Exodus, but in this month it's the seventh month. So the 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 boat landed on the seventh month, which is going to be the future Pesach. Then it lands in the tenth month, which is three months later. Oh, right after Shavuot, we begin to see some mountains. Now again, I don't know because it's not in Savan, and um, is that right? Yeah, it's not in. It's not Savan is in uh, Shavuot, so I'm not sure on the timing all, on all that. I will say this: Tammuz is the month of idol worship, so I'm just saying, yeah. Like to me, I can see where Noah's going. That's all I'm saying. Like, because 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 I feel like something ha- had to happen the month before idol worship. And and Noah is is anyways. You guys will have to dig into that. Cause, okay, but then this is where it gets good. Then in the first month, on the first day. Now it's not Nissan because it's Nissan's not one yet. What month was month one during this time? Tishri? Did I hear Tishri? The first day of the first month is what feast? The only one I've taught on that's on day one, month one, Yom Teruah. The water resides completely. Dry ground appears on Yom Teruah, which is also the beginning of creation. Now that's up for theory, but I've taught on that how Yom Teruah signifies day one of creation. So in this chapter, he is revealing, I am actually starting over. Going back to what I said before, he could have wiped out and completely blew up all of earth if he wanted to, started over, and you wouldn't know any different. But he didn't, but he said, I will start over. And he did it in his timeline. So my point in all of this is he is sovereign and he is good and he is structured and he is ordered and he has a plan. He does not provide structure. uh, He does not provide destruction and not give you the vehicle to be able to say that there is another side to this because it will be by my order, my rulings, my date, my time. I'm alive. I'm playing it. I'm going to orchestrate it. Not you. I'm going to do it. And if I do it, Two different things can happen. Destruction, but in that destruction, my promise, my promise will be held true. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen? Yeah. Amen. I'm ready. Uh-huh. Uh, so I want to, when we're talking about him remembering and staying loyal to his promises, <clears throat> I want to identify what the promise is when they landed on Mount Ararat. And I want all of us to identify that we are, because this is reading us, we are going through the same thing as individuals right now. So what he promised or what happened when the when Noah's Ark landed on Mount Ararat was that the curses were reversed. The curse was reversed. Which means everything she talked about, there's things that he will curse because it separates you from him. 
So whatever those things that separated you from him have been reversed when they landed on Mount Ararat. Ararat means the curse reversed. So that is the deliverance is mm-hmm. to reverse the thing in your life that's cursed because yeah. it separates you from him. He's reversing that so you can then be united with him. Yeah. Oh my God, 40 days. It means the curse reversed. That's where they landed. I didn't realize the dove was right then. I'm freaking out. Now I want to I want to read a scripture in Romans eight because this is the this is ultimately the backdrop of what's happening when you go into your place of deliverance. This is the dynamic that's being worked out. Romans eight verses five through eight says, "Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds." The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So there's this duality of the flesh and the spirit that is being worked out. And the reason why I'm saying this is because what... What spoke to me about these verses was the the dove being released, but also the raven being released. And I had never Mm-mm. thought about the raven. I had never thought about it. Um, and so I just started praying into and digging into what what is that? Um, And I believe as we look at this, we can start to identify that when he takes you, when he shuts you into a process and says, I am delivering you by shutting you into a process and giving you that vehicle, even while you're in the vehicle, there's things that you have to evaluate before he opens the door. Mm. Because the things that separated you from him Mm. prior to this, he's not going to let step out on dry ground when he opens the door. And I want us to be aware of this process because I'm if if it is not apparent to you at this point that we are he is as we are reading Torah portions and taking communion and saying it is established. He is doing this to us right now. So going back to the raven, right, they, they even look different. There's a dove that's white and a raven that's black. And I started researching into why we all know the dove found a place to rest its feet. And that was a sign, which is interesting because they landed on dry ground. They landed on the mountains in Ararat. They actually landed. The water was receding to a certain point. But Noah himself, right, he, he didn't say like, okay, let's... Mm-hmm. Let's step out. Mm-hmm. He essentially said, let's give it another week, which is... Oh, my gosh. He said, let's give it a week, based on the releasing the dove from the ark. Mm-hmm. But I want, I want to point out to you, the dove needed to find a place to rest its feet. The raven also had a place to rest its feet, but it was two different things. Where the dove would ultimately rest its feet was on dry ground. 
Now I want you to think about him cursing the land and sending a flood. Imagine being in the ark and the stench of death outside the ark. Because like Kendra said, everything died. Everything other than what was inside the ark died. Mm -hmm. The ultimate outworking of sin Mm -hmm. is death. And they were surrounded Mm -hmm. by death. All the animals on the earth, were their dead carcasses were floating around. So just imagine, have you ever driven down the freeway after somebody hit a deer? You could smell it, right? It's been sitting there. You can smell it or you've been around a, a, a dead thing. You can smell it. They were surrounded by the ultimate outworking of sin. The ultimate outworking of separating themselves from his instructions and they could smell it, I would imagine. Now, when he released the raven, a raven will actually set its feet on a dead thing. Like the raven could have found a place to set its feet on a dead carcass floating around. Mm -hmm. And they actually feed off of dead things. Mm -hmm. A raven is actually classified as a carrion bird, which means it will actually, it's like a vulture. It will actually feed on dead bodies of other things for its own sustenance. Right? And then I started thinking about that, and then I started looking up, is a raven... I I would assume a raven is an unclean animal. And when I looked it up, sure enough, a raven is an unclean animal. It's not kosher because it eats death. Right? A dove, on the other hand, is a clean animal. A dove would not set its feet on a dead thing. And it wouldn't consume of a dead thing. So here you have a raven. And why I'm bringing this up is because I feel like it's something we have to identify in and of ourselves as we're being delivered before the door opens you have this window of time because you're not out in the flood you're not dead you're not cursed you're being delivered but you have this time frame where you get to evaluate before he opens the door to a total rebirth the dove actually represents rebirth So you're in this whole baptism process. Before the water recedes and he opens the door, you have to evaluate, is there anything in you that would find a place to land on something that's dead, something outside the boat? And this isn't just we're just learning about what happened. Right now, there may be something in me that wants to step outside of deliverance and actually find a place to rest my foot. And what I'm standing on is Mm -hmm. death from as a result of a curse. So when you look at, so you have this unclean animal, we can have this, this element of uncleanness in us because we may look for a place to land which is outside of deliverance that we're actually in. Mm. We may try to look outside of the process he's actually blessed us to go through because of his promises, because he remembered. We can step outside of that and look for the death that we just got delivered from and feed off of it. Mm. 
and go back and forth from the ark to the carcass, back and forth. Now, he, he also sent a dove out. Now, when you look at the dove, right, he sent it out multiple times. It finally came back with an olive leaf in its mouth. And it was at that time that he said, let's give it another week. Right? Because ultimately, when the dove left and didn't come back, he would know that it set its feet on dry ground. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the dove, this was the craziest thing that I found out about doves in looking into this over the last week, is that a dove is different from other species of birds because it will not... When a dove finds a mate, it will never substitute that mate for another mate for the entirety of its life. So you can see this dichotomy of what is being worked out in us within this window of deliverance. Because you can't step out a certain way, right? And when you stepped in, you... you he, you stepped in, but he, in the midst of deliverance, you still have to acknowledge what's going on in you and what's taking place in you so that you don't step out going back to the things that were cursed. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we have to not only identify those dark things. A raven represents darkness. We have to identify those dark things and not be willing to go back to those things so much so that we're standing on that and not dry ground. So much so that we're consuming that and not looking for an olive tree, looking for the oil, looking for the thing that you see throughout Scripture that kept the menorahs lit, the oil, right? The thing that anoints you. There's, you, you can go back to death and lit, you can stand on that and you can consume that, or you can fully embrace what the dove represented, which was oil, anointing, keeping that light lit. Right? And everything that is representative of a dove is in its life, it finds a partner and stays loyal to that partner for the rest of its life. There is no substitute mate. Right, so there's this, there's this, um, there's this intimacy there. I, I actually wrote down in my notes anti idolatry. I can't, I can't remember what the connection was with that, but that's what's associated with doves. So, in us, in and of ourselves, each of us in here right now. We are going through this process because Yahweh has been loyal and we are blessed enough to wake up to the place to where he is saying, as, I, as you are introduced to my instructions, I'm going to give you a vehicle to deliver you and I'm going to curse the things that you, you operated in previously that I cannot dwell with on the other side. I'm going to give you this vehicle to step into. I'm going to shut you into it. I'm going to deliver you. But before you hit dry ground and I reverse all the curses, there's this process of figuring out in us, are we, uh, are we going to be a raven or a dove? And he won't let us, he won't let 
them, he won't let us step out of that process until we figure that out. Right? Because then he would just have to do the whole thing again. And so as we think about that, it's it's like we were talking about, you know, it's only 14 verses. So we're thinking, because now we know enough to know, like, man, these Torah portions are, they're reading us. So thankfully, it's only 14 verses, right? <laughs> but we need to understand, we need to understand that this is real, right? What What is, I won't even say, if there are any curses, what is the curse? What is the thing that is that is separating you from fully stepping out onto dry land? Right? There has to be something in all of us, right? And whatever that is, I feel like this this dual picture of releasing two different types of birds that represent darkness and life, darkness and anointing, darkness and oil. We have to figure out and evaluate. It's a way for us to evaluate what that is in this time frame of deliverance that we're presently in right now. Oh, um, I was, I was, um, I was just reminded of when he taught on the dove going out, and then obviously then attributing it back to when the dove landed on Yeshua. And then understanding all of this, then knowing what was happening when the dove chose him to land on, <coughs> when he said, my good and faithful son. And when he talks about, you know, last week it was like, this is just, this is just me. This is me reading this. But last week I'm like, okay, all I got to do is go in and he'll shut the door. Right? Because that's what we said. That's what he said is if you just go in. That's your deliverance. If you if you go in and shut the door and lock yourself into a process, you're you're good to go. And then the very next week, it's like, well, and then it took a year, and then there was the the yeah. water, and then they saw a little bit. But like he said, I mean, what discernment for Noah not to be like, good, everybody out of here. I was even just reading at the end. I didn't even notice this. It was the first day of the of the first month where the waters had dried up, but they didn't. They didn't get out until Heshvan. So by the second month, on the 27th day, the land was dry. Well, the land was dry two months prior. What is he doing in, like, at least for me, I, I'd be like, it's like, guys, we did it. And I'd be like, go, yeah. And, he's, and there was still a process? So just to be thinking about this is a, a year long or, you know, pe- you know, peeking out and seeing the waters reside and then it dries and then it dries some more. And, and then to have discernment, let, let something go before you to fi- don't, he didn't, he didn't just say, okay, everybody figure it out. Go ahead and swim around with all the dead carcasses and, and see if there's some land over there. It, it was like he used unclean and clean animals. Because if we remember back in Genesis 1, you are the authority over animals, not the other way around. Yeah. We've got a lot of that twisted. <coughs> We're, right, I've said that before. Where we'll love animals more than we love right. humankind. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you're using his mechanism, and this is setting the stage for unclean and clean. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
utilizing animals that are unclean and clean. Because I wondered, well, why did he put unclean animals in the ark? They weren't, what were they used for? To tell me what's not bringing me life? I don't know. I don't know. There's just, there's just so much in this. So, anyways. Do you have your hand up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the... Like, because the pairs were few and it was mates, right? The what? The, like, when, like, the animals went into the ark and the pairs were few and it was mates, right? Well, when I read it, I actually didn't even read pairs. They went in in, in sevens. Oh, like, dozens and sevens. I mean, I'd have to go back and read. But I always remember the picture of the two by two, but then when I read it, I'm like, it doesn't even say two by two. It says seven. So it's kind of like, well, so like the dove that they sent out, if it stayed there, if it had a mate, wouldn't it have come back? <coughs> like they would open the mate, or do you think that was the one that didn't have? Well, if it was the seventh one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they. <laughs> He's the odd man out. <laughs> Sorry, bud. I don't know if it, I don't know if it had a mate, but yes, if it had know. a mate, it would come back. But. But it did. I mean, it, it did come back with the olive branch, and then. And then <coughs> I, yeah, right? I don't. I don't know. It's a good question. Surprisingly, yeah, it did not return to him again. I don't know if there was mates in there. I mean, I'm sure that there was definitely at least a mate. But I think, am I right about that? I feel like when we read it, it was like they went in sevens. Hmm. Well, then that would make sense because the dove's clean. So it could have been the seventh one. It was the odd one out. But I, write down Romans 8, 5 through 8, because I, I believe that puts words to the refinement process or the self-examination process that this is pointing us to while we're in this process of deliverance. Because ultimately wants, what he wants us to get at is to have minds governed by the spirit versus minds governed by flesh. I'm surprised. We're it's only eight ten. I feel like a little bit understood him to be that there is a what we were familiar with we're going to become re-familiar with who he's always been right and every time we come together and have a corporate opportunity for that to happen he just I'm overwhelmed by who he is do you feel like that like it the when when this season was was um not I can't, I can't think of the the word prefaced when the season was prefaced 
about, okay, you're going to hear some things in that old, like, this is what I'm familiar with, and it's going to look like wrath, and it's going to look like this, and it's going to look, and not that it's not, but in the way that we used to see it, and what it was prefaced with was actually what you're going to be introduced to is his redemption. That, that his redemption is all, is all of this. Like, not just in the renewed covenant, but like that who he is and has always been the foundation, like from the beginning of time, is redemptive. That even in a flood, that it was all redemptive. I, I just, I, that's truly what I live, like, this is why I sound, <laughs> this is how it feels in my heart, is like, <laughs> um, and as, as a family, as the remnant bride, when one of the connections we made was that we are walking out that literal redemption, like as his bride, as a set-apart people, that tonight, and being able to grab a hold of this while we continue to walk out these processes and evaluate, take that time to evaluate, will you be one who goes from the ark to find what was dead that we would be overwhelmed that it's coming that self-evaluation and that process that we're in comes from a place of his redemptive heart over us that I can't commune with you I can't commune with you if you're going to continue to reside on that dead thing. And all I want from the moment that I created you is just to commune with you. Does that all like already just completely flip even your perspective on your process? I hope that it does. Because if you see that what he's inviting, he's literally like, it's it's not even, like it's not even for him. And then you see all the accusation of his character and the separation that come even in the church you know of of how like oh this like yeshua had to come to save us from the father because he just was so filled with rage and just wrath and he just he didn't know how to love his children and he abhorred them and he he turned away from them and he you know so so um, at least he sent. At least he sent Jesus. And it, it's just reestablishing the entire foundation of our of our our relationship to why we would even hunger 
for relationship with him. Um, that he's, he's reintroducing himself to us even right now to press out of us rebellion. And in our processes where it's like, I don't want to be pressed anymore. Remember. Now I'm I'm scared to use that word, um, but 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 yes, remember, be loyal to it because he's pressing rebellion out of us so we can have unending communion with him. And and remember, stay loyal to the fact that you were set here because your heart's cry was to have unending communion. Like, make those connections so that when the press gets so hard, you can you can recall that there was a time where I just knew that that maybe what I knew about him wasn't full. And so I sought him out and I I literally ended up on an ark. (laughs) So that his redemptive heart could be made known to you and you could he he responded i mean we've said this so many times but it wasn't even full meaning i've said this like out of my own heart for the family like remember that you said yes to this yeah yeah does that take on a whole like a whole new meaning mom said it tonight like remember your yet stay loyal to your yes because it's still for you and the heart's cry of not wanting to be separated, but even more than that, to have unending communion, to dwell, not just eternally, but every moment of every, that you have access to truly dwell as long as you stay loyal and allow rebellion to be pressed out of you. That's that's all. That's and I don't mean to minimize our processes by saying that's all, but that's all that he's doing. That's it. Who, who wouldn't want rebellion pressed out of them if you knew that it was what was on the other side was attaining unending communion with your creator, with the one who literally created you just to have relationship with you. the literal purpose of your life. Yeah. I'm like, okay, press me harder then. Yeah. Like, that's my heart's cry yeah. from tonight, is like, I I need to get on my face for even, not that it's not okay to like, for the process to be hard or, but I, I need my heart to shift more in gratitude because, Because that's that's what the press is unto. And I asked for that. Like my heart's cry has been, I just even with the Talit, like I just I just I just want to hold you. I just want to be with you all the time. I hate feeling separated. I hate and he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, this is so this hurts. This is, and he's like, Do you wanna be with me? Well, yeah, and then he presses, and then and then I'm like, this this is hard, you know, you know what I mean? Like, let's have a family heart perspective shift tonight. Yeah. 
Can we agree to that? Can you say yes, like right now, like to agree to have a a a com- communal? I don't know what to call it, but like, like, can we agree? Is that making sense, Tyler? <laughs> I'm saying tonight, can you agree to having a perspective shift in the press that you're feeling, the pressure to push rebellion out of you, out of your heart, out of your mind? Can you agree to shift your perspective on that, on that discomfort, on that pain, um, on the resistance that you feel when it comes, and you know when it comes, and the resistance that you feel, can your perspective shift tonight that you would say, press me even harder because my longing is to dwell with you. That was such a good word. Um, like all, all, all of, I, we have so much to just dissect and carry and every, the, the, I'm still doing it, but I just mean like the the not just precept upon precept, but truly the like the sides of his of his face, his like every part of what he's revealing about himself every week is is just building and building and building and it's building this ridiculous profile and foundation for you to carry forever and on and on and on and just like let it like let it and let it saturate you and don't take it for for granted thank you for listening to this message from kingdom heirs international if you have received insight and revelation with this message we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.